we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold in my early days i faced a pivotal moment in my career instead of following the herd into traditional finance i charted my own course despite skepticism i founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility through perseverance i established myself as a leading voice in finance proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed to get what you want sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail that's what harry's did seeing people tricked by expensive razors harry's took a stand Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harris.com slash gold for a $3 trial set. Today's podcast was recorded yesterday. If you want to listen to my podcasts commercial-free the day I record them, go to petershift.locals.com and sign up. It only costs $5 a month. The Peter Schiff Show. Today's podcast is sponsored by Shopify. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like myself the resources once reserved for just big businesses. And right now you can get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features by going to shopify.com gold. On Thursday of this week, June 30th, it was the final day for the second quarter. But before I kind of wrap up what happened during the markets, in the second quarter. I want to talk about really the most significant item that I believe came out on that day. And that was the Atlanta Fed's revision of its estimate for Q2 GDP. Now, I have been forecasting pretty much all quarter that the Atlanta Fed would eventually forecast a negative print for the second quarter GDP. You know, also earlier in this week, we got the final revision for the first quarter GDP. Initially, it was reported as minus 1.4, and that shocked everybody. They then revised it to minus 1.5, and the third time wasn't the charm because they now revised it to down 1.6, and that is the final number. So that is a pretty big drop in GDP for the first quarter. But the Atlanta Fed has been projecting a positive number for Q2. In fact, 
earlier, go back to May of this year, they were looking for GDP growth above 2%. Now, even back then, I was still predicting that we would have a negative quarter. In fact, all of the first quarter, while the Atlanta Fed still had positive forecasts, and in fact, they had a positive forecast up till the last day. So they were completely blindsided by the negative GDP number because they didn't predict it in Q1 the way they're predicting it in Q2. But I kept saying, I don't know what the Atlanta Fed is looking at or how this model is operating, but I maintained that I believed that we would get a negative number for Q1, certainly after the revisions were in, but we ended up getting a negative number right off the bat, which was increasingly revised even more negative as they had more chance to tweak the numbers. And I've been just as consistent in my belief that we would ultimately have a negative quarter in the second quarter. That's why I was so confident that the U.S. economy was already in a recession. Because if it turns out that we have a negative GDP number for the second quarter, well, we've already got a negative GDP number for the first quarter. That means we would have been in a recession since the beginning of the year because the recession is the entire period. It doesn't start when you get confirmation. You simply confirmed that the recession started at the beginning of the year. So I've been waiting for the Atlanta Fed to revise this number negative. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, they had reduced their estimate down to zero. And I had expected at that point that they would reduce it to a negative number. And instead, the next revision was to up 0.3. But then the revision on Thursday was from up 0.3 to down 1% even, not a fraction of a percent, a full percent decline in Q2. So that means down 1.6% in the first quarter and down 1% in the second quarter, although it's certainly possible that by the time we get the second quarter GDP number, it's down by more than 1%. And by the time they finish revising it a couple of times, it can be even greater than that. But that confirms what I've been saying and what Washington, the Federal Reserve, look at Janet Yellen, look at President Biden, look at Fed Chair Powell. They have been unanimous in their description of the U.S. economy as being in a boom, being the strongest economy in the world. In fact, Powell was saying that the U.S. economy is so strong that he's not worried about raising interest rates because the economy is so strong, it's just going to shrug it off. Well, what this proves, or it will prove, because obviously this is still a forecast, so we don't have the actual number for Q2 to GDP. We just have an Atlanta Fed forecast. But if you assume that the Atlanta Fed is correct with this forecast and we get any negative print, doesn't even have to be negative 1%. It could be negative 0.1%. Any number that doesn't have a positive sign, or I guess isn't zero, right, a negative number, will confirm that we've been in a recession. But that means that the entire time, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, the secretary of the Treasury, president of the United States, the whole time they've been talking about this booming economy, it was in fact in a recession the entire time. And again, this is very reminiscent of what was going on in 2008 when we were already in the Great Recession, yet everybody at the Fed, everybody in Washington, all the government economists, in fact, all the private economists, were unanimous in that the economy was strong and that no recession was even in sight, even though they were in the worst recession since the Great Depression when they claimed there was no recession in sight. So they've been making the same mistake this time, only I believe the recession that just got started 
is going to end up being much worse than what we call the Great Recession. So this is going to be a greater recession than that. And I think that this recession is still going to be here, right? It's not going to be over after two quarters. It's just starting. It's going to be here for the midterm elections in November. And I think it's going to be here for the general elections in 2024. And by the way, Biden's approval rating, I think, came out yesterday. It's a new low for his presidency. He's down at 39 and he is more unpopular than Donald Trump was at this stage. And we've got a lot more for that to sink because the economy is going to get a lot worse. Because think about this. One of the reasons that everybody has been so convinced that the economy is not in recession is because they look at the unemployment numbers. Oh, there's so little unemployment. How can we possibly be in a recession with 3.4% unemployment or whatever it is, 36 Well, one reason is the unemployment rate doesn't really measure the degree to which people aren't working. Because the way it's been rigged now, you actually have to be actively looking for work like the month before to be included. And once you've even been looking for more than a year, well, they don't even count you. So there's so many people that are long-term unemployed that aren't in that number or who've just thrown in the towel. They don't even consider working, but they don't have jobs. So they're not contributing to the economy. So I think you can't really rely on that unemployment number so much, that official number, because it's really meaningless. It doesn't really show you what's going on. The labor force participation rate is probably a better indication, and that is still near the lowest levels it's been. So we don't have a lot of people employed. But I pointed this out in a prior podcast. One of the reasons that unemployment is something that kind of goes hand in hand with recession, and again, it doesn't necessarily predict a recession, Because normally recessions start when unemployment is low, right? It's kind of like they bottom out when unemployment is really high, right? So you start out with low unemployment and you get into recession. Because again, businesses, employers don't predict a recession in advance and lay people off. They react to the recession once it's there and then they lay people off. But if you look at what's going on now, I think a lot of businesses, again, We're reluctant to lay people off. They brought a lot of workers back after COVID. They assumed that they were going to need these workers. And maybe initially they did because everybody had a lot of stimulus checks to buy stuff and prices hadn't really gone up that much. And people still had whatever inventory they might have had at the time. And so I think people were anticipating this big recovery. Everybody was talking about how strong the consumer was, how strong the economy was. So we have relatively low unemployment, but that's changing. In fact, we got the numbers for unemployment that come out every week, the weekly job claims. And this week, they again revised up the prior week from 229 to 233,000. And the consensus for this week was 226,000. We got 231,000. So it's a little bit below the upward revised prior week, but it's higher than what the prior week was originally reported at and above the estimate. And the continuing claim, the four-week moving average, is now back up to 231,000 spot 75. It's trending higher. We were below 200,000 claims at the low. I pointed out that we've already seen the low in unemployment claims. And these unemployment claims are really about to pick up, as is the unemployment rate. Oh, and by the way, I think the non-farm payroll numbers, how many jobs we've been creating, my guesstimate is that those numbers have been overstated dramatically based on the birth death model. 
because under the birth death model, you have governments just assume that a certain number of jobs were created based on new businesses that they assume came into existence. Well, when you think the economy is booming and very strong, you're likely to err on a higher guess. These government statisticians who, again, are operating under the same playbook of this strong economy, well, clearly the strong economy must have created a lot of small businesses and they must have hired a lot of people. Well, I think what we're going to find out is that since this strong economy was actually in recession, that not only did new businesses not start up, but existing businesses might have shut down. And we may end up getting a lot of downward revisions to those job creation numbers and find out that not nearly as many jobs were created as we thought. And of course, that will be consistent with the idea that the economy has, in fact, been in recession the entire time. But when it comes to the unemployment rate being low, the reason that recessions generally happen during periods of time where there's a lot of unemployed people is because the GDP is 70% consumer spending. And clearly, consumers spend less money when they're unemployed than when they are employed. Now, there's one exception, the COVID recession, because the unemployed actually had more money than they had when they were working because of the asinine policy of paying people more unemployment benefits than they earned in salary because you created an incentive for people not to want to work, to collect more money by being on vacation. And so they were spending less time working, which gave them more time to go shopping. So spending really went up during that COVID recession, which was problematic. But typically in a recession, when people are unemployed, they watch their money, they cut back because their unemployment benefits are less than their paycheck. And so they have to make do with less. And since not a lot of Americans have a lot of savings for you know a rainy day, they have to cut back. And when you look at a low unemployment rate, people assumed, well, no one's going to cut back on spending when jobs are so plentiful, right? So why would it be in a recession? What people were overlooking, and I pointed this out in a prior podcast, was the big increase in the cost of living that resulted from inflation was effectively giving everybody a pay cut. So even though they weren't getting a pink slip, they weren't getting a complete elimination of their paycheck, the real buying power of their paycheck was being diminished. And so yes, everybody still had jobs, but everybody had a pay cut. So everybody had to cut back on their discretionary spending because they were spending more of their pay on rent, on food, energy, insurance, stuff like that, they had less money left over. So effectively, it was like having a big increase in the unemployment rate because as people lose their jobs, well, they spend less. But if everybody gets a pay cut, they also spend less. So I pointed out that in this dynamic with high inflation, you can certainly have a recession with low unemployment. And that is, in fact, where we are if the data confirms the current projection from the Atlanta Fed. But a point that everybody has to start pondering is if we're already in recession with low unemployment, think about how much worse the recession that we're already in is going to be once the unemployment rate goes up, because it's going to go up. Because a lot of these businesses that were optimistic about the future 
are now becoming a lot more pessimistic and they're realizing they overhired. They have a lot of workers. They don't need, in fact, even Facebook was making comments on Friday about a lot of layoffs that they see coming. Zuckerberg was talking about a massive recession. He's very negative on the economy and he thinks there's a lot of layoffs coming. So if Facebook is laying off people, you know that layoffs are going to be widespread. So as we get a big increase in unemployment, the recession that we're already in is going to get much worse because now you're going to have people who lose their jobs who are going to really have to cut back on spending. But even the people that still have their jobs, well, they have to cut back too because they're going to continue to get their pay eroded by inflation because inflation is not going to go away just because we enter recession. Inflation is going to stay here. And if the Fed continues to raise rates, people are still going to be confronted with higher interest payments as well as higher consumer prices. And many of those people are going to be unemployed. So they're going to have less income as their cost of living is going up and the unemployment benefits are going to be inadequate. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom gold and use the promo code GOLD at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code GOLD at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code GOLD. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. So this is going to be a massive recession, and we haven't even seen the bankruptcies, the foreclosures that are going to result in a recession where revenues are less than expected, but with higher interest rates, your costs of servicing your debt is higher than expected. And this is for everybody, private sector, government sector, everybody is going to be confronted. The U.S. government in a recession, they're going to see their tax revenues go down. At the same time, their interest expense is going up on paying the interest payments on the national debt. And also, they now have a larger deficit to finance, not only, again, because their tax revenues are depleting, but they're spending more money on the automatic stabilizers that kick in in a recession, more food stamps, more unemployment. So the deficit is going to explode. And this is not just a garden variety recession. I mean, even the people who are acknowledging that we might be in a recession, they say, well, it's going to be a mild recession. Mild? Where would you get any indication that the recession that we're in is mild? Recessions are typically proportionate to the booms that precede them, right? You get a bust that is proportionate to the boom. Well, we've had the biggest boom ever in terms of artificially low interest rates causing all sorts of malinvestments and misallocations and mistakes being made. Remember, the 2008 financial crisis resulted from the Fed moving interest rates down to 1%. They were there for, I don't know, one and a half, two years. And then it took another one and a half years or so to get back up to 5%. And during that time, that three or four years where interest rates were artificially low, we inflated this massive housing bubble that popped and gave us the financial crisis. Well, we have now had interest rates at virtually zero for the last 12 years. I mean, we've had a few years where they were above zero, but barely. And in fact, even the years we were above zero, we were still below the 1%, which was the lowest we got after the dot-com bubble popped and that inflated the housing bubble. So if the mistakes that were made with 1% interest rates for a couple of years caused the worst recession since the Great Depression, imagine the mistakes that have been made during this 12 years of zero. Right. I think I mentioned this in the last podcast about when the tide goes out, according to Warren Buffett, you see who's been swimming naked. Well, in this situation, everybody's been skinny dipping. Nobody's got a swimsuit. After 12 years, everybody went skinny dipping in this massive sea of liquidity. And so this is going to be a financial crisis. This is going to be a depression, not just a great recession, unless the Federal Reserve changes course. Now, of course, if they change course, if they pivot, if they go from inflation fighting to recession fighting, it's ultimately going to get much worse. This is just a situation where you're trading a short-term pain for even worse long-term pain. But that is a decision that the Federal Reserve has made every time since they were confronted, other than Paul Volcker. And again, remember, what Powell said he admires about Paul Volcker is not the fact that he jacked up rates and cause a recession. It's only that he did what he thought was right. 
Well, I think in these circumstances, given a similar choice, only more dire consequences, I think what Powell thinks is right is going to be the opposite of what Volcker did, and he's going to go back to rate cuts and back to quantitative easing. And in fact, I wanted to go over just some of the economic data that came out this week that led to this minus one forecast for the Atlanta Fed for Q2 GDP. We got the Dallas Fed Manufacturing Survey for June. That was minus 7.3 in May, and it ended up at minus 17.7 in June. So a big drop. The production index was at 18.8 in May, and it sank all the way down to 2.3. The trade deficit for goods in April also came in wider than expected. They were looking for minus 102 billion, we got minus 104.3 billion. We also had an upward revision to the prior month from 105.9 billion to 106.7 billion. Imports actually dropped 0.1 on the month. And remember, these are not adjusted for inflation. So with prices higher, obviously a big drop in imports because Americans are in a recession, they're broke, they can't afford the products, the higher price products, and so they're buying fewer. Our exports were up, but barely up just 1.2%. But because our imports are so much bigger than our exports, you didn't really see that in the number. Then consumer confidence, this is another measure of sentiment. It was supposed to come out at 101. Instead, it came out at 98.7. And the prior month, which initially was reported at 106.4, they revised that down to 103.2. Richmond Fed manufacturing for June, the prior month was minus nine. They were expecting plus two. We got minus 19. That was lower than the lowest estimate. The estimates were from minus 15 to plus five. Then we also got the numbers for personal income and spending. Personal income was supposed to rise by 0.5 and it did rise by 0.5. In fact, here they actually revised up the prior month from 0.4 to 0.5, but it was the spending number that disappointed. People were looking for an increase of 0.5%. Instead, spending only went up by 0.2%. And in fact, they revised the prior month, which was originally reported as up 0.9% to only up 0.6%. So consumers spending less, big part of GDP, that's also driving the downward revisions. Now, the markets were a little bit excited about the supposed good news with the inflation numbers. The core PCE month over month only went up 0.6 when they were looking for 0.7, but that was a big jump over the 0.2 from the prior month. The year over year number rose by 6.3. They were looking for 6.5, so that was a little bit better. The core PCE was only up 0.3 as opposed to up 0.4, but that's still annualize that out. It's a big number. And the core year over year was up 4.7, which was supposed to be 4.8, and it's down from the 4.9 from the prior month. So some people are like, oh, see, inflation is easing up. Look, you're always going to get some months where inflation comes down. In fact, I do expect there to be some months where you see bigger declines in prices or smaller increases, because one of the things that happens early on in a recession is a lot of companies go out of business 
and they start liquidating their inventory, right? They have sales, going out of business sales, worst case scenario. And so there's price markdowns as they're trying to clear out shelves that have too much merchandise. And so that might temporarily impact the numbers. But once they liquidate the inventory, prices are really going to shoot up because the cost of replenishing it is really going to go up. I think a lot of these companies are making a mistake if they do a fire sale on their inventory because they want to replace it with new products because then they're going to be in the same predicament. They're going to have a bunch of new products that consumers can't afford and those products might be even more expensive than the stuff they can't afford to buy now. I think it would be better for companies to hold on to that inventory and just stop buying and sell what they have and maybe sell it more slowly, but try to sell it at a better price point rather than sell it at a loss and then buy new stuff at full price and ultimately be forced to sell that at an even bigger loss. But you're going to see some temporary relief and it's going to lead some people to think, oh, the worst is over, inflation is over, and the next thing you know, it's going to come roaring back and it's going to make new highs. But finally, we also got the Chicago PMI number for June. That was supposed to be 58.4, which would have been a decline from 60.3 in the prior month. And instead, we declined all the way down to 56. Don't you just love that sound? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. Shopify unlocks the opportunities of your business to more people every day. In fact, every 28 seconds, an entrepreneur like you makes their first sale on Shopify. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving you the resources once reserved for just big business. And it's customized to you with a great looking online store that brings your idea to life and provides you the tools to manage and drive your sales. Making your ideas real opens endless possibilities. In fact, even this podcast started out as a one hour a week short rave radio show it was really a hobby and now I've grown it into a successful business. In fact, I love how Shopify makes it so easy for just about anyone to successfully run their own business. Shopify powers millions of entrepreneurs from their first sale to full scale. Every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. So get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience required. Access powerful tools to help you find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. Gain the knowledge and experience with the resources that you need to succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than just a store. Shopify grows with you. These are the possibilities, and they're powered by Shopify. So go to shopify.com gold, all lowercase, for a free 14 14- trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash gold right now. Moving from the economic data to the stock markets, I want to talk about the investment returns for the quarter because it really was a bloodbath across all asset classes. The Dow Jones was down 11 and a quarter percent on the quarter. The S&P 500 down 16 and a half percent. The Russell 2000 down 17 and a half percent and the NASDAQ composite down 20 percent. And of course, a lot of the big tech stocks in the NASDAQ composite were down a lot more than 20 percent. The ARK Innovation ETF, I always like to talk about that one. This is the most speculative part of the spectrum. These profit lists or money losing innovation companies, as Kathy Wood likes to describe them. Yeah, they're innovating in new ways to lose money. But the ARK Innovation ETF was down 40% on the quarter. Now, it was outdone 
by the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, I always like to talk about these two together, that was down 60% on the quarter, which slightly outdid the losses in Bitcoin. Just kind of looking at the chart and guesstimating, I think Bitcoin was down about 58% on the quarter. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, to compare fool's gold to actual gold, gold was down on the quarter, but not nearly as much as Bitcoin. Gold was down 6.7%. Gold was down less than the best performing stock market index, the Dow Jones. So even though it went down, it went down a lot less. And so somebody who was holding on to gold, if they wanted to convert that gold into stocks, they have a lot more stocks than people that held stocks the whole way down. Now, of course, a better safe haven with the benefit of hindsight was the U.S. dollar. People have more purchasing power if they were in the U.S. dollar than in gold. That may not be the case in other currencies like the Japanese yen, but the U.S. dollar index ended the last quarter at 98.3 and it finished the second quarter at 104.685 so a big gain for the u.s dollar there was also no safe haven in bonds even though we did have a bit of a rally towards the end of the quarter if you look at the yield on the 10-year at the end of the first quarter it was two spot three two seven and it ended the second quarter at two spot nine seven two. So whether you were in stocks or bonds, you still lost a lot of money on the quarter. But some of the biggest losses on the quarter, other than in cryptocurrencies, were racked up in the gold stocks. The GDX index of senior gold stocks lost 28% on the quarter. And the GDXJ, the junior gold stocks, they lost 32% on the quarter. So those stock indexes were down more than the NASDAQ. Now, that's certainly very disappointing to a lot of people who have been following my advice or clients of ours, because while I was right to tell people to get out of the NASDAQ, as I thought rising interest rates and recession were going to be bad for the NASDAQ, I thought they would be good for gold stocks. And I was completely wrong. Gold stocks went down even more than the NASDAQ. So why was I wrong? What did I miss And does that mean that I should change my strategy now because the markets have proven me wrong at least for the last quarter? Well, go back and think about my thesis. What was I saying? I was saying that I thought the economy was going to be a lot weaker than everybody thought. And therefore, I thought the Fed was ultimately not going to be able to raise interest rates as much as people think. Because remember, the premise of fighting inflation and raising rates was always based 
on the belief that the U.S. economy was strong enough to withstand higher interest rates. And it was my view that as more and more economic data came out to confirm that the Fed was wrong, that Yellen and Biden were wrong, that I was correct, that the Fed was overestimating the strength of the economy, just like it underestimated the strength of inflation, I thought the markets would be smart enough to see beyond the rate hikes to the rate cuts. And in fact, the markets have already started to price out some of the rate hikes they priced in, and the markets are now anticipating that the rate cuts are gonna start in early 2023. So everything that I thought was going to happen with respect to the economic data and the market's opinion on rates, all that has come true. And in fact, that's the second prediction I got right, because not only did I say that the economy was weaker than the Fed was claiming, I said that inflation was stronger. When the Fed was still on the transitory bandwagon, I said inflation is not transitory, it's permanent, it's not gonna go back down, it's gonna get worse, and I was right on that forecast. And that forecast also led me to recommend gold stocks because I thought gold stocks didn't accurately reflect how much inflation we were actually gonna have because the markets expected transitory inflation and I knew it was permanent. So I thought the gold stocks would go up once investors found out that they had underestimated inflation, but then they started to worry about the inflation fight rather than the inflation that they didn't expect. And so they started to sell gold stocks but I remain convinced that once they found out that the economy wasn't as strong as they thought and that the Fed wasn't going to be able to fight as hard as they thought and that we weren't going to get all these rate hikes and this tight money policy, that then they would move back into gold stocks when they discovered they were wrong about the economy, just like they were wrong about inflation. But again, they dumped gold stocks even after they found out that the economy was in recession and began backing out some of the rate hikes that had already been priced in. So it is very frustrating to have gotten both inflation and the recession right when those were not mainstream calls. I was an outlier. Everybody was looking for the opposite. The consensus was transitory inflation, super strong economy. So I got both of my forecasts right, but I didn't get paid, at least in the gold stocks. Now, the non-gold stocks that I owned did a lot better than the NASDAQ and even the Dow Jones, despite a strong dollar in the second quarter. But the gold stocks, where I expected to actually make the most money, is where I lost the most money. Now, the question is, is that going to turn around? And I am 100% confident that it will, because the markets still don't get it. Because the people who thought inflation was transitory when it wasn't, the people who thought we had a strong economy when we didn't, still don't understand where this is headed. Because right now, they're thinking that somehow recession is bad for gold. Even though gold has not gone down that much, they think, oh, less demand, it's a recession, that's going to be bad for gold, that's going to be bad for gold stocks. But they still think the Fed is going to have higher interest rates, we still have a strong dollar. So even though the investors don't think the Fed is going to be as aggressive as they thought before, they haven't backed out any of their negative sentiment in the gold market, they still expect whatever rate hikes are coming to be bearish for gold. And I still don't think they've factored in a return to quantitative easing. Maybe they're just thinking about the Fed is gonna back off on rate hikes, but they're still gonna go forward with quantitative tightening. I don't think there's any way that that is possible. I think when the markets actually understand what's coming, you're going to see 
a huge rally in gold and an even bigger rally in gold and silver stocks. It's just going to happen later than I thought. And when it starts, I think it's going to be vicious. Investors are finally going to be able to put two and two together and figure this out because the political pressure on the Fed is going to be immense once it can no longer hide behind the false narrative of a booming economy. Once it's proven that the economy is in a bust, then the Fed's mission is clear because the Fed's been able to say we're focusing solely on inflation because they claim we have this great economy. If they have a dual mandate, employment and the economy versus inflation, yes, they can focus on the inflation mandate when they think they're okay on the other one. We got this super hot labor market, nothing to worry about, so we can focus on inflation. But once that super hot economy is ice cold, they were predicting a soft landing. Well, we've already crashed. Now it's a totally different scenario. Now they can't claim that they're going to focus on inflation because they can't also claim that the economy is in great shape and we have low unemployment when unemployment is going up. And when everybody knows if the Fed continues to raise rates, that's going to put even more downward pressure on the economy, more upward pressure on unemployment. In fact, if the Fed just stops raising rates, if they leave rates where they are, they're still too high. Mortgage rates are still too high right here. We're going to have a collapse in the housing market. The cost of government to servicing its debt has already gone up dramatically. So it's not enough for the Federal Reserve to pause in the hikes. If they want to do something about this growing recession that's going to turn into a financial crisis depression, they're going to have to slash interest rates all the way back down to zero. They're going to have to launch a QE program even bigger than the one that just ended. That is the economic reality. And I don't think it's going to take a full implementation of that strategy for gold to take off, for investors to recognize this. But what it is going to take is a little more patience on the part of investors. Yes, with the full benefit of hindsight, we didn't have to buy any gold stocks. In fact, most gold stocks made 52-week lows on Friday. Now, we did get a little bit of a bounce, and so most gold stocks ended up closing positive on Friday. So I can't say with a high degree of confidence that that was some kind of reversal and that was the bottom and that these stocks won't go any lower. It's possible that was the bottom, but it's probably not. They may keep going lower, assuming this dynamic continues, but at some point it's going to change. And if we haven't bottomed, we will bottom. But wherever we are now, we're certainly closer to the bottom, in my opinion, than we are to the top. And I'm not worried about these paper losses. Sure, I could have had more money if I sold and rebought. That's always the case with the benefit of hindsight. But if you look at so many things I got right that were in my forecast, inflation would be worse than expected. The economy would be weaker than expected. Stagflation, we've got it. I was right. I thought stagflation would be bullish for gold. It should be bullish for gold. If investors understood stagflation, maybe because they haven't had it since the 1970s and none of these portfolio managers were either alive in the 1970s or certainly doing business in the 1970s, they don't know how to react to it. Well, they're going to learn their lesson the hard way. But in the meantime, it does create opportunities for the people who understand what's going on to just buy more gold stocks from the people who don't. Because remember, I think the people who are selling gold stocks, these are the ones that were wrong on inflation. They were wrong on the economy. They still don't get what's going on. They still have confidence in the Fed. They still think that they can fight off inflation. And a lot of these people think now that the recession itself is going to cure the inflation disease. So that's another reason they don't want to buy 
gold or gold stocks because not only is the Fed going to be raising rates, which is bad for gold, there's no more inflation. And since gold is an inflation hedge, well, there's no reason to buy gold. Well, inflation is not going to go away with the recession. That's another thing that the consensus is wrong on. We may get a temporary dip in inflation again, going out of business sales and stuff like that. But after that temporary blip down, we're going to shoot up. We're going to make new highs. Inflation is not going back down to 2%. It's going to be much higher than that in perpetuity. And when people accept that new reality that we're not going back down to sub 2%, we're going to be forever above 2%, then they are going to rush to buy gold. And I think we're ultimately going to get paid for this trade. Yes, we were early, but I'd rather be early than late. But the final bullish factor for gold is that it's no longer going to have to share the spotlight with Bitcoin. In fact, Bitcoin was in the center ring and gold was relegated to the sideshow because everybody was making money in gold 2.0, digital gold. Well, I think it's now clear to whatever fools believe that spiel. Now they know that it's not. Bitcoin is a highly speculative risk asset. It's not a safe haven. It's not a store of value. It's not a digital gold. It's not a substitute for gold. It's nothing. And so when gold really starts to rise and people are really looking for an inflation hedge, a lot of people who were formerly sidetracked by Bitcoin are going to buy gold. And I think a lot of people that didn't buy gold or Bitcoin, but thought that gold's investment case was being undermined by Bitcoin. And so they definitely didn't want to buy Bitcoin. They might have bought gold, but given the competition with Bitcoin and this whole narrative that Bitcoin was the car and gold was a horse and buggy, people thought, well, why buy gold? Because even if I'm right and there's inflation, well, people don't want gold. They want Bitcoin instead. Well, that competition is going to be removed. I think portfolio managers, institutions, endowments, people managing other people's money are going to feel much more confident allocating whatever amount of money they want as an inflation hedge or a safe haven into gold. After all, they're losing money in stocks. They're losing money in bonds. What are they going to turn to as an alternative? They're not going to turn to Bitcoin because the losses in Bitcoin are even greater than the losses in stocks and bonds. Gold is going to regain its crown. It's going to be the last safe haven left standing. But before the masses figure this out, I want to make sure that I'm fully positioned because I understand where we're going. I didn't know exactly how we're going to get there. So you cannot plan for that because nobody knows all the various turns that you're going to take along the way. But if you can figure out where you're going to be, if you get there first, you'll win. 